When we involve ourselves in watching gossip TV, entertainment TV, uh, gossip magazines, uh, blogs are great for gossip, right? Just put up whatever you want, just, right? In a way, what you're doing is you're taking pleasure in iniquity. So you have to ask yourself, what are the things that I rejoice in that God does not? What are the things that I take pleasure in that are actually things that God sent Jesus to die and to rise again to forgive. Love doesn't delight in iniquity. Immediately, the most obvious sins come to mind. You think, I don't delight in murder or cheating or lying. I'm good. But this is a fallacy because we all have those things in our lives. We just don't recognize them. Today, Pastor Daniel will challenge us to seek the Lord to find out what those things are. Like rejoicing in the takedown of a terrible person when we should be praying for their salvation. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with his continuing study entitled, Love Defined. As we study love, this series has been so challenging for so many of us. I've gotten so many people like, man, Pastor Daniel, this series is challenging and it's hard. Why? Because when you look into the face of perfect love, and you take a moment by the Spirit to self-assess, we realize both how far short we fall and how grateful we are for Jesus. Because, brothers and sisters, Jesus died because we fall short of the standard of love that is described in 1 Corinthians 13. All of us do. Every single one of us, when you look at these verses, we find ourselves not quite there. This was put in comical picture for me this past week. As I mentioned last week, my father and his wife, Marianne, as I've told you, my mother passed away when I was in my early 20s, and my father remarried a gal named Marianne, and she's a great gal. It's it's actually quite beautiful because when we were growing up, my sisters and I used to babysit for Marianne's kids. And she knew my mom, but she had never met my dad until somebody set them up. And now they've been married for 12 years. And it's so funny. You know what it's like when you travel with your spouse, right? It's challenging a lot of the times, right? Because in every marriage, there's one person who likes to show up running for the gate. And there's the other one who wants to sit at the gate for like three hours so they don't have to run for the gate. Right? And who's late? Who always forgets something? It's very rare for a couple both to travel the same way. And so my father is definitely the classic, like, I need to be at the airport like 900 hours early so that I don't have to worry about it. And Marianne, his wife, is very much like, man, we're going to get there. And so you can imagine the pyrotechnics that go on in the process. And it was funny because when they first gotten there, we were talking about this whole thing and and, and my dad goes to Marion, well, you love me. And Marion goes, well, love's a strong word. <laughs> and I, of course, absolutely understood what she was talking about, right? Because like, love is a strong word, isn't it? 
And if you think about it, when they studied Eskimos in Canada, they found that Eskimos had more than 50 words for the word snow, right? But we just pretty much have this word love, and love encompasses a huge range of stuff. And that's why we're defining love. And the Bible defines love for us. It doesn't say just all you need is love. All you need is love. Love is all you need. And it says all you need is love, but let's define what it actually is and what it isn't. And that's why I think 1 Corinthians 13, I want you to open up in your Bibles there. 1 Corinthians 13. We need to study this because all of us long for love. We all want it. We, we seek after it. It hurts when it's withheld. And so, but we need to be able to drill down is what is love in the biblical sense and what is it not? Because for most of us, all of our experiences with receiving love from people or returning it looks nothing like this. And that's why love hurts so much. Because we love in a way that is not in accordance with God's heart or his word, and we receive love from people. And God wants to close the gap down in all of our lives. He wants to say, this is the standard of love, this is the way you love, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to bring those things closer. And what the beauty is, is in all the ways that there's a division, that's exactly why you believe in Jesus. Because if God's standard for love is this, and we're over here, all that gap needs to be accounted for. And that is exactly why Jesus came, lived the life of perfect love. That's exactly why he died and rose again. And if you're here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you realize that God has forgiven you for all of that gap, but he wants to also grow you to become more like him. And if you're here today and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, or you're watching online, there's a gap there. And you do need to account for that gap. That's a spiritual principle. And so many people say, oh, well, I'm, I'm doing better. That does not account for the gap. That's just making the gap smaller each and every day. You might be saying, well, I'm a good person. Right? That's, that's a kind of a, a real classic way to say it, right? I'm a good person. And I always say, good compared to what? Because that's the question. If you say, I'm a good person, I think it was somebody posted online. I didn't actually find the quote, but the former uh, mayor of New York, Michael Bloomberg, said that if, if there's a God in heaven, I'm going to skip that interview. I've done enough good things. I deserve heaven. Really? But what's interesting is he spoke it out, but a lot of us actually believe that in our hearts, but we would never say it. So I, I'm not condemning. I, he's totally wrong. Like, not even close to being right. Because Michael Bloomberg, on his greatest day, is here, and God's standard for love is here, and everything in between he has to give an account for. And that is why Jesus is the most important person in the world. Because through your belief in Jesus' perfect life and his death and his resurrection, he fills in that gap. Not only does he fill in the gap, but he also empowers you to change from the inside out. And so we're studying love together. And we're picking up now in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 13. We're picking it up right in the middle. So this is love defined part two. So I'm going to read the definition of love, and then we'll take that second half of it. It picks up in verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity 
but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now, I did go through verses four and five, and I went through them. We're going slow so that we can spend some time there. And we saw things that like love is, it's about patience and kindness, that love is selfless. And by being selfless, love doesn't envy other people. It doesn't parade itself. It's not boastful or puffed up. In its behavior, love isn't rude, shameful. It's not provoked. You can't provoke somebody if you love them. If it's real biblical love. And that love, we ended, it doesn't keep any records of wrongs. We talked about how if you carry a laundry list for people or circumstances, that's not love because love is rooted in forgiveness. And forgiveness is letting somebody off for the laundry list. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means I'm not going to hold it against them for the rest of their lives. And that's a decision that we make. It's a proactive decision. It has nothing to do with what they do. It's us saying, look, I'm not going to let you do those things to me again if they were hurtful or wrong. I'm just not going to hold it against you for the rest of your life. So we saw all that last week. Now, look at verse 6. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Now, I got a nice little phrase for you here. Two words, but with four words. True love loves truth. You like that, right? See, two words, true and love. True love loves truth. That's what verse 6 is about. True love loves truth. Now, notice what it says. It says, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Now, it's about what brings joy to the heart of a person who loves. What brings it joy? And first it's stated negatively, it does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. So to take the first part, love in a biblical sense does not take pleasure or joy in things that are full of iniquity. And iniquity, it means to be in rebellion against God. So when something is a part of iniquity, love doesn't rejoice in it. Now, if you start thinking about all the things that breaks God's heart, you realize that many of us fail at this. Why? Because we live in a culture that fails at this. We live in a culture that rejoices in things that God would say is iniquity. And because we live in this world, we are continually bombarded with this is what you need to rejoice in. So like, if you look at our, our modern culture, contemporary American in the 21st century, we have a love affair with all the gossip about stars and politicians and all these things. And we kind of enjoy watching all this stuff. But if we know that gossip is slandering someone's character, right? When we involve ourselves in watching gossip TV, entertainment TV, uh, gossip magazines, uh, blogs are great for gossip, right? Just put up whatever you want, just, right? In a way, what you're doing is you're taking pleasure in iniquity. So you have to ask yourself, 
What are the things that I rejoice in that God does not? What are the things that I take pleasure in that are actually things that God sent Jesus to die and to rise again to forgive? This verse has got some teeth to it, doesn't it? Because we all have areas of our hearts that we rejoice in something that God would consider to be iniquity. Now, in the day and age we live right now, one of the most common things that we have going on right now is as it relates to same-sex attraction, homosexuality. The first openly gay football player was, was drafted. And ESPN and all the news had him kissing his boyfriend. Right? Now listen. It's an NFL draft. Good football players should get drafted in the NFL. Right? That's why they're there. But that person's sexual orientation has absolutely nothing to do with the draft. Right? It's about football. It's about tackling or running the ball. It's football. But we live in a culture right now that is pushing, you need to rejoice in this. Now, I bring this up. I realize this is a hot button issue. I bring this up because we are not supposed to hate that person either. No, no, no. We're not supposed to hate them, but we're also not supposed to rejoice at it either. See, there's so many things. Like, like let me give you a perfect example. And this is going to be a challenging one. I'm just going to put it out there. I realize this has all sorts of implications. But when Saddam Hussein was beheaded and that video came out, how many people rejoiced in that? Some of us did, right? You might say for good reason. Maybe we shouldn't have. Maybe we should have said, I will rejoice if Saddam Hussein gave his life to Jesus and I could see all of the atrocities he committed forgiven. Now, I, I just took that to a whole side. I did it. I did it on purpose. I took it all the way to the end and said, was it a good thing? Should we have celebrated somebody dying on national television? I don't know. See, this verse begs the question, should we ever rejoice when someone who doesn't know Jesus loses their life? I don't know. What are the things in your life that God's word says that's iniquity, but we still celebrate, that we rejoice in? You think about the sex slavery industry. Pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry. Statistics would tell us that eight out of every 10 guys in this room are rejoicing in that. That's statistics. In churches, it's about seven out of 10. Now, I don't want you to condemn your spouse or the guy sitting next to you, but if we find pleasure in that, then we are violating the heart of God by rejoicing in iniquity. See, I just took two examples, but there's a million of these things. And my encouragement to you today is to say, God, will you come and reveal to me the things that I rejoice in that break your heart? And Lord, whatever those things are, Lord, will you forgive me and change me? Will you help me to resist the rebellion that comes naturally? And will you help me to take a step and simply respond to Jesus today? See, Love doesn't rejoice, take pleasure, enjoy iniquity, but instead it rejoices in the truth. See, love shares truth's 
joy, and it cannot rejoice when truth is denied. Now, many of us are like Pontius Pilate, where we say, well, what is truth? Right? And when they're talking about truth here, they're talking about not the cultural truth of one nation or people group in a different generation. And for those of you who, who forget, we do have a very specific set of cultural goggles. I do too. So I'm not saying it's you guys. It's all of us. That 21st century Western culture has a very specific set of lenses. And what's interesting is like every other generation before this generation, we see and we think this is the only correct way to say it. We look at the past and say, I can't believe they used to believe that. But because every generation looks at the past and says, I can't believe they believe that, you got to think about what your grandkids are going to say about what we believe right now. They're going to look at me, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they valued that. And we have to remember that although it's the world that we live in, if you go to another country, even in the 21st century, they have a whole other set of goggles on. So every culture has a specific set of lenses it looks through the world in. So truth is not a cultural concept. It's not based on age, gender, marital status, socioeconomic status, governmental preference. The truth it's talking about is the truth of God's word. Jesus said, Jesus is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. Ephesians 4, verse 21 tells us, for the truth is in who? Christ. We're not talking about your version of truth or my version of truth or the version of truth of people, you know, 100 years ago or 300 years ago. We're talking about the truth that Jesus is. He's that truth. So every understanding of rejoicing in the truth, it has to be viewed through the lens of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's truth right there. A truth that says that humanity is worthy and important to be sacrificed for. Not a, God hates humans. No. God is so pro-humanity that he gave his own son. But also, not only that humanity is special, important, but also that humanity's got fatal flaws. So much so that Jesus would have to die to forgive us. And it's a tension that we hold together. The beauty and the image-bearing nature of humanity and the fact that humanity's got all sorts of issues. We hold, that's the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel says that you are more wonderful than you can imagine and you're also more horrendous than you can fathom. And when you view the world through the shape of the cross, God's love and his grace, but yet his justice and truth, you start to see the world outside of your own cultural goggles. You begin to see the world from a different vantage point. I think all of us, those of you here who are following Jesus, we struggle with that, right? We're we're citizens of two different worlds. We're earthbound and we're heavenly minded. And those things are jockeying for position in our hearts, right? Where you're like, this is the cultural things and then this is God's heart here. And there's a tension there. And I'm here to tell you, we all feel that tension unless you're only allowing yourself to live in the light of this world. The earthbound 21st century Western American post-enlightenment perspective. But for those of you who are born again and you're praying about, you're like, wow, there's a lot of tension there. And now I'm here to tell you, I realize that when I even say that, that's a challenging statement because everybody wants to resolve the tensions, right? 
Like everyone's like, I just want it to be nice and neat in a little bow. Thank you very much. But actually, I believe the grace of God and faith in the Lord actually exists in the tension. When you're willing to say, I feel like I'm straddling two things. But ultimately, when the cultural desires of our world and God's desires for eternity, when they are separate, which lane do we have to jump into? If we're Christians, then it's the Lord's. We end up saying, okay, I'm going to abandon this one because I need to be here rather than there. But we all struggle with that tension. And that's why love doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. True love sees the world as true love sees the world. We have to say, God, what do you see? And that's why one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 4, 15, it says, speaking the truth in love. If you were to look at the Greek, it doesn't actually say speaking the truth. It actually says truthing. The way of truth. Be truthing in love. And it was Warren Wiersbe who said, and I quote this all the time every time we get to this verse, this love and truth. And Warren Wiersbe said it this way. Love without truth is hypocrisy. And truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. And truth without love is brutality. And what happens, I think, for most of us is love and truth begin to fight one another. And so what happens, you have people, I just want to love people because God is love. But what they do is they say, I want to love everybody, but I don't want to honor God's truth. And know what you get? You get hypocrisy at the end. Because if you love without truth, it's not really love. And there's a whole subsection of Christianity today, not the magazine, but Christianity in this generation, There's a whole subset that says, I just want to love everybody, but I don't want to stand up for God's truth because that's offensive. So we try and reason this stuff away. Let's pretend that God didn't say that. Let's pretend like that's not in the word of God. Right? That's not love. That's just hypocrisy. It's not rooted in anything that has any substance. There's no foundation to it. And I'm sure some of you in here, you're just like, that's me. I know God's word says this, but I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want to challenge anybody. Who am I? I'm messed up. So I'm going to pretend like those things aren't there. No, no, that's not the way to do it. You need to hold those two things in tension. You can love somebody who you don't agree with. You know how? Because that's exactly what God does for you and me. See, God loves us, but he doesn't agree with everything. He gives us the space to make decisions, but he still loves us. He's not against us. Could you imagine if God wrote us off if we did something he didn't like? We'd never be found. He would have gotten rid of us the first day. First time I was hungry and I just screamed my head off. Because isn't that what you do when you're a baby? If you don't believe it, you come to my house. About 11 o'clock at night. I'm hungry! And they scream and she screams and screams and screams until you come in and feed her. And then she smiles at you. Little selfish baby. (laughs) Jesus is real. Pastor Daniel gave us some heavy food for thought today as we consider love. When a horrible person who doesn't know Jesus loses their life, should we rejoice? We need to seek the Father to reveal those things that are rebellious, to help us know and respond. We're so happy that you're a part of the Jesus is Real radio family. 
Jesus is Real Radio is a listener-supported program. We want to let the whole world know that Jesus is real. Your donations help make this possible. You can become a monthly supporter or give a one-time gift by text message. It's easy. Simply text your gift to 855-910-8300. That's 855-910-8300. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will explain how love covers faults. Jesus is the embodiment of that covering our sinful selves when we see sin in someone else. Do we cover them or drag them down? You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled The Greatest. Until then, may God bless. We need-